Hello and welcome to the Stress Sessions Mental Health Podcast with me, Luke. You're listening to Series 4, Episode 20. And this week, I'm speaking to former Maccabees band member, Felix White. We talk all things mental health, about his new book that came out a couple of months ago, the music that he composed for the John McEnroe film, and lots and lots of other stuff too. So here we go. It is... The Stress Sessions with Felix White. Welcome to the Stress Sessions. Felix White, it's lovely to have you on, mate. <laughs> Hi, Luke. How you doing, man? Nice to be here. No, how's your day been? Have you had a good day? It's been busy? Um, yeah, I have been. I've been doing um, little bits of writing. I've been doing, I'm writing. Um, my, my life's take, taken me on some strange U-turns since uh, my band, the Maccabees, broke up a few years ago. So I, I write about cricket occasionally and um, do some bits like that. So I've been doing that kind of thing today but my day's been all right mate yeah just been sort of sweating it out in my flat which is like a hot box situation the, the weather's just suddenly got like proper hot hasn't it i was out in the garden earlier and i was like it's actually quite warm it's weird i know mate yeah it's t- I'm typical english i've been complaining about it all day so whoever speaks to me. <laughs> um yeah man all, all good though all good nice one the first question i'm gonna ask you is the question i ask every person that comes onto the podcast which is what is the one song that puts you in a really happy, positive mood? Oh, good question. Well, I've got a lot of these over, over the years and it I, I don't think there is one. But I, I get in the habit of um, of listening to the same song on repeat for a couple of weeks. People listen to music in lots of different ways. But the way I've, I've always listened to music is by getting completely obsessed by one thing and listening to it on repeat and then the next thing and then the next thing. Um, and my thing at the moment is a record by um, Michael Head and the Red Elastic Band. So he's um, he he's I think he's sixty one now, but he was he's a like a super super superhuman type songwriter, and um, he was in a band called Shack in the nineties and various other things. But maybe I mean it's a little bit um, I mean overused to say that he's really underrated. But anyway, he's made this really special record with Bill Ryder jones and um it's called dear scott and i've been listening to that record every day at least three times and um it's definitely been showing me the ropes and i'm feeling a little low there's this great song called broken beauty that might be a good one let's go with that one it's very unfussy proper songwriting recorded brilliantly and you just feel like oh yeah i'm in the middle of something special whenever you're listening to it I've got into that recently, like I've got um started using I think I think of all the apps in the world, most of them are really bad for my brain, talking about mental health. But um one that's really good is Shazam. I think that's the best invention I ever. Like I found so much music yeah, um, through yeah. films, like in cabs and all that kind of thing that I'd have lost forever. So yeah, I do a lot of playlisting through Shazams. Some stuff I'm not so proud of when I've Shazammed it and you're like, oh, <laughs> yeah shazam's good because it, it one it allows you to cheat in music quizzes pretty easily but pretty like you said it also gives you that entrance into stuff that you wouldn't usually listen to so like, for example like i was in a bar in london a couple of years ago and they were playing like it's like jazz and blues music and it's i've never listened to that usually so I just whipped out Shazam and I was like, I'm literally going to take a whole playlist from sitting here listening to it. And like, yeah, it's, it's great. I love I love discovering new stuff like that. It's cool. Uh, yeah, definitely. I mean, I could give you a whole playlist of stuff, but that's probably <laughs> a good one. I don't, have a good, I don't know why I'm picking another Scouse band, but um, another really good one is um, Feeling by the Lars off the Lars debut record. It's only about a minute 50. And if you want to get out of bed, with a spring in your step, so to speak. There isn't a better song than that. Um, so, yeah, there's millions, though. There's tons and tons. 
I'm going to move on a little bit to your book. It's always summer somewhere. I've got, got a copy here. <laughs> it's, um, have you? <laughs> you just like whip out two boxes. <laughs> You've often used the sport of cricket because it's, it's, it's predominantly about cricket, isn't it? As like a sort of aid in times of darkness. And it's kind of essentially something you can turn to as a mental crutch. How did that sort of come about? And you talk about it in the book, but I don't want to sort of ruin it for people that haven't read it yet. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, oh, that's true. And that's, um, it's, I mean, it come about in a lot of different ways. I mean, very long story, hopefully short, is that, yeah, when the Maccabees broke up, I, I ended up doing, because I've always loved cricket, I ended up doing this show called Tail Enders for the BBC with Greg James, who's the Radio 1 DJ and um, breakfast host, and Jimmy Anderson, who's like the best England bowler ever. And the shows, um, I, we thought it was only going to be like six episodes, but it's, en- it's ended up being five years and counting like every week. And um, one of the things that's hold it, held it together really is that the constant con- conversation about how cricket feeds into our lives. So like the metaphors you put into it and how it's like good to have this sort of constant in which like whatever's going on in your life against it, you sort of mark it in time or you judge yourself against it. And so the book, um, that was the uh, early stages of the premise of the book really was that it suddenly became interesting to me that um, the England cricket team in particular had always sort of articulated or explained something to me that I hadn't uh, necessarily known or, or it was like a vehicle to feel through. And I think a lot of people do that through their passions. You know, I think obviously football is an obvious one. Like when, you know, like when a team scores a goal, it's not, I mean, I don't want to, I mean, I think everybody sort of feels this way and I don't want to put feelings into other people's heads, but, you know, it's not about a ball going in a net, is it? It's about what you've all decided collectively and agreed it means and like a, and a welfare history and what that means, what you've chosen it to mean for you. So anyway, I, I sort of decided that um, I would go on this sort of exploration of what the England cricket team has meant for me. And it was, the, the, the striking thing really was that when cricket was on terrestrial television in the 90s, so it was on all the time throughout all the day, simultaneously, my mum was quite ill at the time. She had MS, so she was getting, she died when I was 17, but when I was, you know, much younger, seven, eight, nine, it was the early signs of it. And while that was happening, sort of in the house or in the other room, it just so happened that I had the television on all the time and the England cricket team would be on it and... Fortunately, they'd always be losing this like the team in the nineties. So, and I became really attached to these um, cricketers uh, the, of the England team then. And so, in reflection, and by in reflection, I mean like twenty, thirty years later, it became fascinating to me that like, oh right, so I probably couldn't um, process in a, any sort of tangible way what was happening to my mum because I was so young and it was confusing and all that stuff. But as your survivalist head does occasionally, I managed to uh, focus feelings of like pain and hurt and loss into the television. And then as as it sort of, so I became attached to falling in love with cricket then, watching cricket. And then ever since it's had this sort of spooky sense of um, always explaining something in my life back to me, I think, you know, like, when the Maccabees were getting successful was a time English they started winning again and they were like bound in with this thing if anything was possible and the Maccabees signed a record deal and then they kind of 15 years later the cycle of an England team fell apart when the Maccabees broke up and so I felt like I could sort of understand um, breakups through that Um, so anyway I just thought it was interesting how sport um, always explain stuff to us that we don't know it necessarily always is you know yeah I mean and I mean if England win then you can go something good's gonna happen so it's, it's which is nice exactly yeah, yeah. Exactly. I mean I don't know how it's gonna continue to play out and there's always an element for the book's sake I guess um we all do it don't we can you sort of you can invent what your own story is and that isn't necessarily always the case so it probably is a bit of fudging like I don't think it was like oh, it's completely um, specific, but um, in just it just felt like that to me. Yeah, so so that's what the book is really. It's a um, it's a sort of about cricket, but you don't need to know anything about cricket because it's basically about 
where we put love and how I processed lo uh, like long-term grief, you know, and I feel like that's, that's the thing that I'm glad with in the book is that um, a lot of people that don't have, don't like cricket have been able to find a way to understand, you know, I think it's more important that you maybe understand the latter than understand anything about cricket in order to sort of associate with the book, really. I think the way that you write as well is you can link it to your own personal life in some respects. And yeah, I don't know. I don't know if you meant to do that or if it's just literally about your own personal life, but I feel like a lot of people reading it would be able to take something from it in terms of linking it to their own mental health journey or like suffering grief or just giving them a bit of a light at the end of the tunnel. If that makes sense. Yeah, no, it does. And that's lovely to hear that, man. Um, I'm glad that you took that from it. Uh, where that came I think that was sort of a natural thing because I think once you are writing completely like um with the blinkers off and with your own sort of truth for want of a better fight that's quite a cheesy phrase but yeah when you're writing that and um, people are going to associate aren't you because we are there's so many similarities in all of our lives no matter what you do um but also I was really in a in couple of years up to writing it, I'd not not the intention of research or anything, but I've, I'd read a lot of grief books or memoirs, and the, the ones I'd really loved, like um, Gavandra Hodges wrote a great one called Consequences of Love, Pete Perfidi's Broken Greek, um, there are loads more, Ariel Leave, uh, and Brewated Life. Anyway, all these books I felt like um, the appealing thing was sometimes you felt like, this person probably hasn't even told the closest person in their life this. And I think sometimes a book's really helpful in that sense because you get you have the space to sort of command um people that are listening and you can and um yeah you, you have the space to say it in which and you don't always have that in a conversation or whatever. So I felt like oh that's something that I'd really like to what I really wanted to emulate in a way is that sort of closeness you feel when you're a reader and reading something someone's written, but you, but it's very hard to translate into other art forms, which I think is special about books in particular. And the thing is as well, is that sometimes you find it hardest to tell the most difficult things to those closest to you. And I think that a lot of people will be able to relate to that because in everyday life, I, I mean, I've, I've spoken to like mental health charities and stuff in the past and I'll pour my heart out to them over telling like, I don't know, a, a really close friend. So I think in, in that respect, it's, it's again, really relatable. That's weird. That's so interesting. You say that. And I think that's really true. I think there feels like there's so much at stake, isn't it? When you say it to someone, it feels like that's weird, but also if you're saying that to a stranger, there's less for you to lose. That's why therapy is so good. I think because there's less of that, it, there's an understanding that that person's there to support you and that exchange, so there, there's less, because I think so often um, if you're talking about a trauma or something that someone else is a, a lot of their life's in, there's always going to be that tension or someone else seeing it their own way and all that kind of thing. So I think, as you said, I think it's really helpful to find places that you can put it where um, you're just going to be heard the way that you see it and also that was what was cool about this book actually is that a lot of the because I, I, I was really nervous about writing about a lot of people close to me whether that's the Maccabees or family or well in that Maccabees and family is actually almost basically the same thing <laughs> if I guess yeah. it's like um cricket is that you kind of I was worried that I was going to be um betraying trust or all that kind of thing um but actually what was really beautiful about a book is that because I wanted to make sure that everyone had read the bits that they were in and that it was okay with everyone I ended up when it finished like sending you know the respective bits and having conversations with all the people in it and there was amazing sort of sense of just like clearing like oh yeah we're cool actually aren't we and this is just what like life is you know people fall in love and fall out of love and you know your life goes different ways and it's like unrealistic to expect things to last forever which I definitely did with my band I expected for a long time I wanted to freeze us at 17 and just keep doing that thing forever because it was um what I had always dreamt of doing but um 
yeah anyway so it was it was yeah, a very cathartic process in that sense uh, I went to uni sort of 15 years ago now that's a long time ago now Jesus but the Maccabees were one of like the bands that kind of I guess formed all university students of my era it's like uni experience if that makes sense so you go to like an indie club and it'd be like the Maccabees would be on everywhere and it's like amazing <laughs> yeah no, that's really nice of you to say man and I, yeah that's definitely I mean I've got lots lots of bands like that in my life I still feel really close to but yeah that's cool that we were part of sort of that moment really and that, that was um that was the nice thing about the last gigs actually because we managed to do last you know we were still big band basic or the biggest we'd ever been at, actually when we did the last gig so when we did those final gigs you could sense that what you just said that um everyone had had a sort of moment with our band and it meant something beyond the music it was like you know like you like oh I I remember that period of being at university and your friends and that kind of thing so you could sense in the um, venues like old people were um, saying goodbye or remembering that part of themselves so that's that's the really powerful thing of being in a band that have meant something to people is that you have the privilege of people bringing in bits of their lives into that room and you can feel it like you can really like actually sense it it's very cool lucky thing to have it sounds really weird but one of the experiences with you guys that i remember like at the front of my mind is when i went so it's reading festival 20 oh god what was it 2011 no 2010 2010 and you guys are on the main stage and I I got separated from all the people I'd gone with, so I stood and watched you guys on my own, and it was it was just right. lovely. It's just lovely to stand and what like just take it all in, taking the atmosphere. And I wasn't near the front yeah. or anything because you don't really do that on your own. But it was just like it's one of those experiences where I was like, this is so cool that I'm just standing there taking like literally just soaking it all in. It's great. It's funny you should say that because I, I went to the LCD sound system on my own last night. Um, because a couple of people pulled out and um, I love going to gigs on my own. Cause, you know, you don't have that thing of like chatting or going to a bar. Da, 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 da. Anyway, how is, how's this? But you just like, it's just you and the band, isn't it? And then you're just really aware of what's all happening around you. I, I can always remember the gigs I've been to. I love that stuff, man. I go to, love going to gigs on my own and I love going to um, cinema on my own. I yes. Yeah. Same. Because you get to see the films that you want to see then. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you definitely get to choose um, what film you're seeing. And uh, yeah, I just think it's good for you, man, to do those things on your own sometimes. See, I've only just started sort of exploring that myself because like, I went to see a gig, it's probably about a month ago, actually, for the first time on my own. And usually that's the sort of thing that scares the shit out of me. I wouldn't do, usually do that. But my, I told my, basically my friend that was supposed to come with me, I told too late to get a ticket so she was like oh, i'm busy now so i can't get a ticket and i was like fuck it i've gone my own and it was to see um run the jewels in brixton and i was like oh this i, I didn't, didn't know what to expect and it was it was amazing i just stood at the sides like chilled out and all the songs and it's just i don't know it's it was it's different because you actually get to listen to the music rather than chatting to your mates or like you said getting boozed up or whatever but yeah i liked it that's exactly and I was doing I did exactly that at Brixton yeah I think it's good I mean obviously each their own like do things with other people as well but um yeah I think it's I, I always think it's cool like if you bump into someone and they're and they're up to something and they're on their own and not even that bothered about hanging out with people I always think like oh that's really you know sort of impressive because I've always had that thing in my head of someone like bump, like bumps into you I'm trying to invent like last night there's a part of my brain when someone says oh who, who are you here with sort of like you want to invent oh I'm just with my mates over there you know what I mean? When you're not yeah, 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 yeah. Because that, whatever. That yeah. that happened to me at Run the Jewels, and the two other people that asked me were on their own as well, and like they just wanted a little chat. I think just because they're on their own, and I was like, oh, "This is cool!" Like getting to chat to new people, and yeah, it's it's right out of my comfort zone. God, that sounds that sounds cool. Do you, you do it again? Yeah, definitely. I loved it. It's good. All right, let's go to a gig together, but on our own. We'll watch it from yeah. <laughs> yeah, you stand on the left, I'll stand on the right. <laughs> I'm going to segue back into cricket again because going back into like the whole mental health thing, the first experience I guess that I witnessed, kind of somebody that had a mental illness, was in all like the tabloids. You got all like the 
like A-list celebrities like Britney Spears and all those people just having breakdowns in the press. But the one that stood out for me personally is when Jonathan Trott left the England squad for the Ashes Tour in 2013. And that was the first time, I think, that I'd seen a sports person ever come out and say that they're suffering with a mental illness on kind of like national TV. It's all over the news. I think he got a bit of a bad rap for it. But what was the sort of first experience that you kind of were exposed to in terms of mental health, mental illness? Because that's one that sort of sticks out prominently for me. It's really interesting you brought that up because um, I actually did a film score, did the music film called The The Edge, um, which was a film pretty much about that. The director, Barney Douglas, had worked with the England team. And um, the way they'd all fallen out and stuff, especially Jonathan Trott, um, yeah, made this really cool film about basically like the cost of greatness and, you know, what what is the cost um, of high level sports and that kind of thing. And and Jonathan Trott is incredibly open in it. And there were moments, um, I think, on that tour where he's crying, you know, like walking out to actually batting, like, you know, like with tears running down his face type thing. And that was fascinating for a number of reasons. And one of the reasons was that he, up to that point, he'd shown no fall- no visible fallibility outwardly. So that's why it was such a surprise to anyone because he just seemed like the least likely person that was going to have, you know, he just seemed so solid. So it was very interesting in that sense in that it can happen to anyone. And also just um, his, in the film, he... Um, unpacks it and ends up coming to um a, a really like healthy place of acceptance but that wasn't his failure actually this is just how the human you can't sometimes control you know your your brain um and it was just it was too it was asking something that he couldn't do at that time um so yeah I, I think I remember watching that and being um really moved by it and sort of disorientated by seeing him do that um, I've had, I mean, there's been a lot, I've had a lot of, um, being a musician, you, you, you're quite often surrounded by people who are exposed to that for whatever reason. I mean, also there's, you know, obviously like the lifestyle, I don't know if it's so much as so much like that, but definitely when we were growing up, it was encouraged to like drink and all that kind of thing. Like it was that was sort of part of the thing. So, um, and then putting that against judgment and in front of lots of people every night and performance and failure and all that kind of thing, potential failure is um, quite a, is a concoction that is, <laughs> could be really unhealthy. So I've, mm. I've had a lot of um, smaller and bigger experiences of it. Even, um, I'm sure she wouldn't mind me saying this, but my sister-in-law had um, postpartum psychosis recently when she had her child four years ago, um, which was a really scary thing for everyone. So it's, you know, like I've, there's, it's something that is constantly coming up in my life. I'm, I've never had um, huge personal um issues with it but it's something that I'm always battling and I think anxiety definitely whereas it felt like I was only in a few people when I was lives when I was younger it feels like it's in all of us now really and I definitely am I'm constantly um aware of my own anxiety that I never what was 10-15 years ago so yeah so I've got a really long rambling answer to that but um yeah I don't know I don't in in short I don't know when the first person I was aware of mental health, but I think, yeah, being, being a musician, you're sort of always surrounded by it, yeah. The thing is, I think, as well, is that you, it wasn't kind of a prominent thing until, like, I mean, it's quite recent, isn't it, that you, you kind of start to begin to understand yourself because you just feel a bit like, oh, that I'm okay, because it's just a bit mental, whereas it's like, no, it's actually something like, like, anxiety wasn't a thing. 10 years ago was it like if somebody said you had anxiety 10 years ago you'd be like oh let's just go for a rough yeah and now it's completely like just on the map isn't it and everyone's everyone's sort of uber aware of it now and more especially given the last few years we've been through I think I've I've definitely noticed it myself 
like I say, I've been fortunate to have smaller doses of anxiety and things like that compared to people close to me. But um, I've definitely noticed post pandemic um, that if I'm walk- having never had a problem with it previously, like when I'm walking into social situations, sometimes my head will just go, I don't want to do this actually. Or I don't want to, you know, see people. Um, so I think it's something that's going, you know, following all of us around to a much bigger degree now. And it's also disorientating, isn't it? When you've been looking forward to your social life again. And when it comes, when it's available to you, you're suddenly like, oh, I don't know if it feels right to me for whatever reason. That can, that can leave you really feeling alone, actually. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think the pandemic was hard. Like, did you find it quite a struggle throughout the pandemic, personally, in terms of like just, I guess, not being able to live the way you'd usually live because nobody was able to. Yeah, yeah. I think it was a struggle, obviously. For I mean, the thing that was what like worrying to me was anyone. It, it wasn't like the actual like day to day of it wasn't that difficult for me, but the just the the. Um, the possibility of someone close to you getting seriously ill and not knowing what it was, that was really bad, wasn't it? And that, to begin with, it was like, you know, weren't sure of how people got it and was it on, like, if you got fruit, is was the COVID going to be on the fruit? And like, yeah, be like, all that kind of, do you know what I mean? Just like madness. So that was like totally trippy, wasn't it? But, but what my head does, Luke, is like I kind of usually usually a few years later i realize that it has affected me <laughs> i'm quite yeah. I do that. It's quite a male thing as well like I've, i have a way of like when it's similar with my mum's death or like actually grief of and some other friends or whatever that have died i don't i tend to not be able to feel it properly really until a few years later and it's normally been carried over from something else and so it takes a bit of digging to get in there. Um, yeah, which does seem like it's not exclusively, but it seems like that's more of a male thing than a female thing. Yeah, it yeah. is. Because, I, I mean, I, I've had that where I've been to see a therapist and obviously they dig up the past, don't they? And they make you talk about stuff that's happened as when you've been younger and growing up and like what could be the cause of your mental illness. And you look back and you go, actually, yeah, when I was 16, 30, like, do you know what I mean? Like 10, 15 years ago. Yeah, that's why I felt like that. And it's, and, but you didn't know it at the time. You just thought, oh, it's just part of life. You can't do it, can you? Because it's, sometimes it's so subconscious. I think that's what you, you, you hope, but you get better at that when you, um, when you get older, don't you? So you, you hope that even sometimes when you don't feel it, you can observe yourself from outside and be like, oh, that's weird that I'm not you know and you try and sort of coax yourself into sort of healthier patterns a little bit i definitely try and do that um with myself if i feel like i'm working way too hard i feel like what's that you know like what's that about am i trying to avoid thinking about something and so i try and sort of analyze myself from outside my own head if that makes sense yeah i I do think looking after your mental health is a is a big skill though and it's something that you have to learn rather than it just being there because I've noticed yeah. that over the last couple of years because since I've been doing this podcast I'll actively realize if I'm in a bad frame of mind uh, basically as soon as I wake up and then try and do shit throughout the day to try and give myself that lift again but yeah it is it's, it's definitely something that you have to sort of teach yourself I guess totally yeah I totally hear you but I mean you must to spoke to so many people about it. I mean, you must be getting an idea of how many are there lots of similarities a tie between all the conversations you have. Yeah, I was in what stuff stems from, or just people's coping me- coping mechanisms and stuff like that. Coping mechanisms, what I'm asking, really. But I mean, it's, I it's so so many different things, so many different things. So like a lot of people's are kind of steered towards exercise, which is kind of one of my coping mechanisms um keeping busy which might not be the right way forward because then you're sort of just covering stuff up sometimes rather than stopping and taking a look at it but it's even so there's there's stuff like you know people do like and i started doing recently ice baths and taking cold showers and doing stuff like that which i've not done for a couple of weeks and i probably need to do that because it does help me um yeah 
but what would you say is kind of like your coping mechanisms for like day to day that's a i mean it's a good question i i um i did that you know during um during lockdown i was doing that wim hof cold showers and the breathing man i, I actually felt so good from that um i don't know why i stopped that maybe just from having less time but that really like that made a huge difference to me um it's sort of maybe slightly sensitive time to even ask that because i don't actually don't know what i'm doing at the moment to to help myself out in that sense i i, I definitely I, I go through um definitely go through periods where i am so busy i can't think about anything else i'm sort of in that zone a little bit at the moment um and you do yeah I think I have, I've suffered from burnout on a few, few occasions for sure. Um, probably good. I'm having this conversation with you now. It's probably good for me to be like, okay, I need to um, start exercising or whatever again. Um, I yeah, that's such a good question. What are my coping mechanisms? I think my coping mechanisms are the things I love. I think um, genuinely, I think playing guitar is a huge thing in my life. And also interestingly, the cricket, quite often what I do to switch off is I'll have the cricket on and luckily there's cricket happening everywhere all the time. So you can normally get it and I'll just sit there playing guitar with my brain sort of switched off, like not engaged with what's going on in the cricket and my hands just playing whatever on guitar. And I feel like that, um, it's almost like a sort of recharge mechanism with my brain where I can just do that for like an hour or whatever. And I haven't been conscious. I've just been, um, yeah and i sort of come coming back around and i feel like i'm playing something so that's always been like my base level thing it's good to have new guitar things to learn always like sort of techniques because you can a lot of learning guitar is um requires re repetition so doing it again and again and again and sometimes that repetition doesn't require your brain to be like necessarily even thinking about it you just have to be like putting it into your muscle memory if that makes sense um so that's that's probably that's probably what i do which is good because you kind of get to do that on a day-to-day -day basis i guess but my my favorite sport's football and like i love arsenal and yeah i think you support fulham didn't you i think i do i am um, i i like to watch like highlights of when arsenal are good because they're not that good in the minute but that puts <laughs> me... <laughs> yeah. yeah that put, that puts me in a good mood so it's like when I used to go and watch them as a as a teenager, like when Omri and Burkamp and Canu and Perez and all those sort of players played there, going back and revisiting old footage and highlights and stuff, and football puts me in a good mood. Do you do the same with cricket? So, like, can you watch like an Ashes tour from back in the day when England were in one of their good periods and go, I know that that'll put me in a good mood. Do you know what? That's I, you just you just triggered a memory there during um, during. Um... During the pandemic, because feels, this feels like makes the last question um, void, last answer I gave void. But during the last, during the um, lockdown, I, I had this thing at one point where I felt like I couldn't swallow. Like it was a, um, a clearly like a physical anxiety reflex, something that I wasn't sort of conscious of. But I had this like real um, sense that there was something stuck in my throat that I couldn't get out. But it's it's so hard to under, to understand it because you it actually felt like that. It actually felt like no no, no. something definitely stuck in my throat. Um, but <laughs> my girlfriend knows me relatively well, and she um, she was like trying to help out, and she ended up um, like <laughs> resigning to let's put like old cricket on television. Oh, okay. And when I was watching it, and at, like about ten minutes into watching it. It was like suddenly like, oh, I haven't, I haven't noticed my throat. I haven't checked my throat. So, so it's interesting you say that because there was something about like going back into the memory or like my head, like noticing things or focusing on it. But I, but um, I forgot about the, you know, the imaginary thing stuck in my throat. So I probably do have like a very similar thing to that. I've got a friend that, um, I love this about him. He uh to relax he watches um nineties snooker on YouTube because he finds the sound he finds the sound like relaxing. 
but I sort of really get it. Like if you sort of like falling asleep or whatever, there's something really, there's like a gentleness to it and here and the rhythm of it. Um, but for whatever reason, sorts him out. Also, there's, I was talking to um, an artist that's on my record label, which is one of the things I did since Maccabees, and they were saying they watch um, this is a phenomenon now. Other people playing computer games. So like oh, YouTube, I've heard of that. Yeah, yeah. Someone else, like, who's really good at a computer game, and you just watch, and that for some reason had put them in like a really good mindset to switch their brain off. So yeah, those those are all different versions of your Arsenal thing, I guess, aren't they? Um, but God, I haven't actually. I'm so glad you jogged that memory because it's that's like such a good example of how helpful um, cricket in my case has been to like just sort of soothe my head. Yeah. And it's, it's kind of looking back into your past and past like positive experiences to then make your current, if you're going through a bad patch, bad, bad patch is better. So like, yeah. you, again, you've just triggered something in my head from where, right. where I, so I, I've deleted it now, but I had TikTok for a bit during lockdown. And there's this one account. Do you remember the game Championship Manager? Football game. Oh my god! Of course, yeah. yeah. So, so the best. Well, personally, I think the best one was the two thousand two thousand and one one because, right, yeah. like, you could yeah, you could just make ridiculous teams on there. And there's this guy that created a TikTok account dedicated to that game. So I used to follow him and just literally watch watch him on TikTok for like an hour. It's weird. Yeah, yeah. Watching just managing teams and doing. Yeah, yeah. So he'd be like, um, he was playing as like, I don't know, Blackburn or somebody. And you just literally watch his TikToks, like going through career mode as Blackburn and what players he signed and what games he watched. And yeah, it's, it, was, it, was, it was just, it's like reminiscent of the past, isn't it? Do you know what? It's also interesting. So I don't know if you've got an opinion on this, but I've been having this conversation with a mate of mine recently as well, who's, um, dad in his 40s and is really into computer games and he was saying that you know we grew up especially our generation probably yours as well but like yeah definitely people my age where we were constantly getting told that how bad computer games were for you like you're rotting your brain da, 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 which to an extent i'm sure was true but he was saying actually he felt like it was such a healthy thing for him because it's engaging his imagination it's escapism so he's not thinking about whatever stress is in his life but but the way the game is it's like forcing him to engage with it so when you do come out of it you actually feel like sort of airbrushed or whatever or ready to start again I just thought it was a really interesting point I mean obviously it become, like anything it can become unhealthy if you do it too often but I thought it was interesting that um in terms of escapism and like sort of your brain being engaged in something that, you know what I mean? It's like, let's like what a lot of people say for, um, if you go riding your bike or whatever, it's helpful because you have to concentrate on the road. So you're not concentrating on whatever's scaring you or whatever's stressful in your life. So when you come back to it, you can return to those things with fresh perspective. And I think in some ways, if you, if you're not like dwelling on them, maybe computer games can be that as well, you know? Yeah, I think so. And I, I feel like the computer games of old as well, they were quite repetitive and similar. So the one that I that popped into mind was Mario Kart, because I used to play a lot of that when I was younger. And my dad, bought a SNES. Yeah, yeah, my dad bought a SNES when I was, I think I was four or five. And he pretended that it was for me, which is obviously for him. And... <laughs> I I just yeah. loved playing that because it was it was quite repetitive you could, and you could get be- you could easily get better at it and I think as a kid you sort of learn and again taking this into my adult life that repetitiveness is sometimes quite good especially for your mental health because it's putting a routine in place and you yeah yeah I I don't know it just it just helps I think yeah totally that's so true. Yeah, I guess I guess that's really true, man. Um, I don't know. I don't, I'm not sure. I've never really played computer games that much. Just as you're saying that, I remember this is nothing to do with mental health. But Jim, you have to in SNES games, you used to have to blow like if, yeah. if they didn't work. It. It blow the cartridge, sort of, yeah. 
on the cartridge at the bottom. We, we used to um, swap, ga- swap games with like um, mates at school or whatever. You know, you just bring in Earthworm Jim or whatever and swap it with whatever it was, Donkey Kong. And his um, his mum told us that we weren't allowed to swap games anymore because when they got the cartridge back, there was just loads of Cocoa Pops inside there. And like one of, one of us had been eating cereal and then like blowing into the inside of the computer game. That's amazing. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. Yeah. I've still got mine, so it's it's somewhere in the house. I don't know where it is. I saw nice footage of Lewis Hamilton the other day where he was playing on Mega Drive or whatever, and he was sat there. You know, I don't know how old Lewis Hamilton is, probably mid-30s, isn't he? But he was sat there like a seven-year-old kid, like racing cars on Mega Drive, thought it was quite sweet. It's good nostalgia. It's good to have those things, I think. And it, it makes you feel good. It brings out the endorphins, doesn't it? So I love it. Yeah, I agree. What would you say is the darkest place in your life? And how did you come back from it? As in the darkest moment in time of my life? Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I, I would have to say... Um, and I've worked through this a lot in time, but what I, I mean, it's probably quite a nice way of wrapping up what we were saying before, really. But um, when when my mum, so my mum was ill for a long time, for like 12, 15 years until she died with an illness that like crept up, crept, you know, MS like sort of attacked her. Um, her like nervous system until she couldn't move, talk, anything like that. And I remember at the time when she died, like not really being able to feel that much sadness. I probably did, but my memory of it is that um, I almost sort of get an attention when, when something like that happens. And I almost buzzed off it. Like the adrenaline of it was so surreal, but I almost was like sort of quite like sort of, it just spun me out and like sort of really charged me of like a different energy. And I think if I'm honest, I think a part of that, um energy was yeah I did put into a productive place in like getting a band going and everything that's required in that and like creating a new family and that sort of um borderline obsession and work and um thinking but it's required to make those things really happen and in terms of like delayed grief I think I was putting like I was saying like a lot of the feelings into cricket or like um, like at a band keeping me completely active all the time until when the when the band broke up when I was five years ago so 32 probably 32 or 33 your age um after that I had a moment where it all felt like it had been sort of like stored up and then sort of released into that moment where I felt like for about six months or whatever felt completely lost like almost a bit like walking around feeling like um the only way I can describe it is you know you get on a train and you leave a bag on it and you get off and you think oh did I have a bag on the train it's just like that but from the minute I woke up to the minute like that like feeling of like I'm not even sure who I am or and then having these moments of being like extremely upset. Um, so that probably was the darkest place of panic, but it ended up becoming a real space of like resolution for me because I ended up being like, okay, well, if I'm not the person in the band, the guitar player, like who am I? And also not having the band um, helped me sort of swim back in my mind and we sort of access what had happened with with friends and my mum and sort of deal with that grief, go into therapy. Um, and it's it's put me on a path like five years later, where I do loads of different things. I don't feel like I'm just this sort of hyperactive guitar player in a band that's like got to make this happen at all costs. So I think having that moment... Um, yeah, that dark moment, I guess, in, in, in your words, is like was something that was I'm very I'm extremely grateful for. 
because I think there would have been every chance if the ban if ban hadn't happened, I might not have ever had that moment um, of working all that stuff out, and I could still be like in that fix of that world. So I feel like I'm I'm sure lots of people that you've spoken to about the same thing probably say they're grateful for those moments as well. I think you really get to under, like know yourself and understand yourself, don't you? Um, so yeah, that would probably be mine. The thing is, as well, is like if if you knew when you had that moment what was to come in terms of like you write a really successful book you've got a really successful podcast like you you've got your own music label like if if you looked forwards from that moment and knew that that was going to happen you probably wouldn't have felt like that but you needed to feel like that for that to all happen yeah totally absolutely but also it was about I don't even know if I work this out or ever will, but I, it's about. But without all of that stuff, are you still the same person? And that's the really important place to get to. Because that's the problem with like the, all the jobs that I do and stuff is that so much of it is about success and validation. But when it's gone, you can have a real, you can lose a sense of yourself and you can slip into some really dark places and the problem with the world especially the world that I'm in but in in all of our lives is you can't control it it's completely unpredictable and no matter who you are you're going to have um moments when things aren't working for you but I've, I've, I've been able to sort of um understand that and realize that when you're having an unsuccessful period of time it isn't proof of anything other than you just live in. <laughs> it's just like, <laughs> all it means is you're alive and you're like in the mix trying, you know, it is, it's, it's not, it's not a failure on your part because it happens to literally every single person that's ever been on the planet and always will do. So it's just about recognizing that like, Oh, I'm in this, I'm in the place where it's not all working for me and I'm going to be out of that place sometime soon, you know? Yeah. And I, I think that those dark periods and looking, looking at it from a personal point of view, they do, they do most of the time, I guess, always have a silver lining because they, I, I don't know, I feel like they give you that drive to be like, right, I'm going to, from this plate, this real low place, I can come back from this and will be better for it I don't know I could so I, I started this podcast on the back of something that happened to me and I but I wouldn't have done this podcast had that not happened to me and that's yeah. that I like to look at as though through even though I went through a lot of pain I, I wouldn't be sitting here speaking to you now had that not happened well, look, I'm just having chats like we've had today like you know you, you must have had so many of those of course of this podcast like series and stuff so it's like you've done a really good thing for yourself and other people by just getting out there and like, you know, like meeting people, connecting and like learning about other people and stuff like that, which probably would never have happened either. But that's exactly what you we were saying earlier, wasn't it? Like sometimes it's easy to tell people that aren't close in your life because it's just like less messy, but there's yeah. nothing wrong yeah. with that. Like you just sort of, that's like your, your trial goes, you know, like you're getting it out. Like, because I, I, I had the same thing of like my, like for, 10 years more than like 15 years even saying oh my mum died or whatever would be such a that'd be so such a complicated thing to say and I couldn't really say it without um without feeling like I was gonna get really publicly like upset about it even like for a long long time and now it's just that's that's a good part of me like writing a book and talking to people like you and stuff is that it you sort of um the more you say it the more you break like the myth of it, like you, the more you break that the sort of darkness or the hold it has of you, you just, you learn to disassociate. Do you know what I mean? With the sort of, yeah. Yeah. It's, it kind of becomes more natural. Um, and that's a good feeling. What is your ha- happiest place in the world? Oh, wow. What a great question. What a great question. I don't think the cricket is like necessarily is my happiest place in the world. I think that's quite as 
was, as I call it in a book, a sad cricket cave. I was channeling a lot of feelings of sadness in that. What's my happiest place in the world? What's yours? Hi, Bruce, we're not sit down. <laughs> no, uh, I don't know. So I, I don't actually know. The one that I've said before is when I was on a holiday in Florida with my parents and my sister, and I was in, I had my ninth birthday there. And it was the only holiday that I remember my granddad coming with us. And it was, he's, he hasn't been on many holidays since because he, he's, he's 88 this year. And so he would have been his, in his 60s or fifth. I can't remember now. He was, he was, he's younger than he is now. But I just remember him coming on holiday with us. And I loved that my granddad was on a holiday with me. And I just sort of like, as a nine-year-old kid getting to celebrate in a foreign country with like your immediate family, granddad, whatever around you is just lovely. I loved it. It's great. Um, that that's okay. That's okay. That's a great one. And I this year actually, I went to um, West Indies because England were playing cricket out there, and we went to uh, Grenada. Um, me and Matt does a podcast as well. Very last minute holiday, and we had this um, place that was like right by a creek little place beautiful test match was happening we had the best time ever but also we were doing a bit of like exploring in the west indies and we found a local cricket match where um they like big speakers like serving rum and whatever um playing cricket with tennis balls and we got there a bit early so we were playing like tennis ball cricket with a couple of kids are still like a bija was one of the boys and another one was so we were just these random people that turned up and they were like so sweet to us and we had this like really blissed out day there and I had a, a moment when I was there I I actually I was so happy I just cried to myself I was just like <laughs> because I've forgotten what it felt like to be so at ease like so welcomed not to have any issues and just to be able to like communicate with people we hadn't met before which is probably a post-pandemic thing so I'm going to say that little local cricket match in Grenada. That's really, I love that. That's really cool. That's, 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 that's lovely. Something happened with the, like the, the two boys we were playing cricket with. Like, just we had such a good time with them. But like, when we came back from holiday, I saw, every day I was thinking, oh, I hope a beach is all right. <laughs> I'm sure he is. But yeah, anyway. It's, it's, not, it's so lovely to have those sort of memories though, because you sort of think, yeah, in a, in a way, it's a bit sad that they you won't have it again because you won't ever get it in that moment in time with those particular people. But again, looking back on it, it's just like it's priceless, isn't it? This is it, man. This is, you can't because you can't go back to it. You can't you can't replicate the moment. It's like um, you know Annie Hall, Woody Allen film when he's um, we've seen uh, Annie Hall where he's yeah, yeah, he's, yeah. he's like dating. I think when he's dating Annie Hall and they get the lobsters and then when he's split out of Annie, he's trying to recreate the lobster scene in the kitchen with another woman who just can't get, who he doesn't care. Um, it's, it's such a good little um, uh, observation of life because you just sometimes you try and recreate it and you never can. Cats or dogs? Cats. Yes. Nobody says cats. We've got, we've got a thing on tailenders where you just say a random cricketer and you have to say whether they're a cat or a dog. Doesn't any description. Would you, would you refer to yourself as a cat or a dog? Cat. Would you... Well, okay, so um, to use some examples you've thrown out earlier, Thierry Henry, cat or dog? Cat. Definitely cat. Carnu, cat or dog? Dog. Because he's hard. David Seaman, cat or dog? Dog. Dog, yeah. Um, Nigel Winterburn, cat or dog? Definite dog, yeah. <laughs> right, and one more from the Arsenal era. I'm going to say Mark Overmars, cat or dog? He's a cat. He's a winger, wasn't he? I agree. I agree with that. Like absolute silky Dutchman, amazing. Yeah, totally. I can't believe I didn't say him as one of my favourite players earlier because I used to love up Mark Overmars. He was when he was at Arsenal. He was one of my favourite players. Yeah, legend. Summer or winter? Summer. 
obviously. <laughs> I'll be proud of my bit. <laughs> um, city break or beach holiday? City break. Oh, really? What city's your favourite city? I find it hard to sit still for long periods of time, so it's not so much like city break, but it's like, but I find it, and I feel like I've, something I've noticed later in life is that if I go on a holiday, I need to have a focus around it. Can't be like, oh, we're just doing nothing for a week. I can't really deal with that. So, and I like to be in the mix of places. So, like, go to New York or whatever, or um, be in a be in a town where like stuff's happening, like different sorts of music or whatever. I think that that's kind of that. Um, I enjoy those sort of trips. I love the different music in different countries as well. Like, so for instance, I, I went to Munich a couple of years ago and it's just like random German music going on. And I just stood there and just watched it for like an hour. Cause it's just so different. You know, you just sort of like come across something and it's nothing that you've yeah. never seen in your own country. It's again, like priceless moments. I used to, love used to love that in Mexico or whatever, you know, just wandering around and seeing all the random music. Yeah. Brilliant. Love it. Day or night? So you say again? Day or night? Night. I'm more productive at night. I tend to write music and 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 do other writing um, quicker at night. Don't know why. And then this is the last one, and I don't know if you're going to be able to answer it but it is cricket or music. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. Cricket or music. I'm, I can't really ever want to say this, but I think by fraction, music. I think... I think, a, yeah, I think a world without music is much sadder than a world without cricket, to be perfectly honest. Cricket has been a fortunate little niche thing that I've got into, which I'm eternally grateful for. But I think in terms of everyone in the world, getting rid of music for cricket, I don't think, I, I don't think I'd be, I'd be public enemy number one, wouldn't I? So let's say definitely music. Yeah, you definitely would lose a lot of fans, I think, if you got rid of music. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> Let's keep using it. Man, I've really, I've, man, I loved it so much. I didn't know it was, the chat was going to go to the place that it did. So um, thank you, man, for being honest in the chat. And yeah, just um, really loved it. Let's, let's keep in touch and see you down the road at some point. Yeah, definitely. Thank you so much, mate. Um, and yeah, hopefully speak to you soon. All right, Luke. Take care, mate. Lovely to speak to you, you man. Yeah, you too. Have a good see- evening. Thank you so, so much to Felix for coming on the Stress Sessions podcast and just chatting to me. It's a great, great chat. I'm sure you'll all agree that that was just a lovely chat between two blokes just talking about mental health and and life in general. But it was an absolute pleasure to have Felix on the podcast because I am and have always been a massive, massive fan of the Maccabees. So Felix's music has always been kind of part of my life from going through university up until now as an adult. So, yeah, thank you so much to Felix. And apologies in advance for the intro and this outro because I'm actually in St Ives at the moment with work and I don't have my microphone to record audio properly. So I'm literally just speaking into my phone. You might be able to hear seagulls in the background. There's some building work going on across the road from me in my hotel room. So apologies if you can hear that. Lastly, I just want to say that neither me or my guests are experts in the field of mental health so if you do or are suffering with a mental illness or you're struggling at the moment please seek professional help or go and take a look on the link in the podcast notes and you'll find lots of helpful stuff on there and that is about it from me I've got a few more episodes left this series and then I'm gonna have a little break but I've got three more to go and then yeah there's, a, there's going to be a big announcement for the last one. So I'm really, really looking forward to you 
listen to that one. But thanks so much for listening and speak to you again next week. This is an advert. This is an advert. Since giving up alcohol last year for my mental health, I've been searching high and low for a zero alcohol product that still has the great taste and quality as an alcoholic one. And I think I've finally found the one in Unlimited Beer. In fact, with a choice of lager and an IPA, Unlimited Beer has got me covered from all angles. Whether I'm watching football at home or planning a barbecue with mates in the warm weather, I can have a few cheeky bottles without the alcoholic content and most importantly, without the hangover. Whether you're teetotal or are considering giving up alcohol for a while or are just sober curious, why not try Unlimited Beer? At just 23 calories a bottle, you just can't go wrong. And by entering the discount code LUKE10 at the checkout, you'll receive 10% off any order through www.unlimited.beer. That's www.unltd.beer.